You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. That is so Pastor King. I, if uh, it, it seems normal that a pastor would go on a vacation to England and send a video back, maybe in front of a red telephone booth on a double-decker bus, maybe in front of Big Ben if it was me. I think I'd have been at Abbey Road where the Beatles walked across. He's in front of a, a martyr uh, monument where William Tyndale <clears throat> sacrificed for Christians. So we have an amazing pastor. I, uh, and I was nervous about getting up here to in front of all of you until, thank you, Thatcher, your, your effort at butchering that whole math thing. Whoa. I feel like I'm going to look pretty good now. Um, but, uh, boy, if you are a visitor, uh, I would just want to welcome you so much. Um, thank you for coming today. We, uh, Huikala is a special place, but it's a special place for visitors. We have all been ingrained to welcome you, and, and, and we, we sincerely mean that. If you are a visitor, uh, please come back next week. Um, <laughs> uh, we have an, a fantastic pastor. He, uh, he is the Cal Ripken Jr. of Hawaii pastors. He did not miss a Sunday for his first five years. That's unheard of in the industry. Uh, he's only missed a couple this year. We've, the community's almost had to force him to get away and recharge his battery a little bit. So if he were here today, if you haven't heard him, you would, you would leave today thinking, that guy's pretty good. That's a good pastor. Uh, I, I walk out of here every week thinking that. You hear me speak this week, you come back and hear him next week, you'll walk out of here saying, that that guy might be the next Billy Graham. That guy is really good. So please come back and give him a chance because he, uh, he's had a tremendous influence on so many people here, and uh, we look forward to him getting back. When he came up to me a couple weeks ago and he said, hey, Vord, uh, be interested in you sharing, uh, would you be interested in sharing a message uh, on Father's Day? You know, he, he said, Thatcher has filled in a couple times I've been gone, has done a, a great job, but... He said, I think it'd be good to have a, from a father perspective. And what he didn't know, and what I don't think we've shared with anyone, I haven't even talked to my mom about this, but when he asked me that, the first thing that came to my mind is I looked at my calendar, and it was June 16th, and I thought, every so often in life, there's these moments, these things that just really strengthen your, your belief in, in, a, in God. Because tomorrow, June 17th, is the 20th anniversary. I can see my mom getting emotional there. It's the 20th anniversary of my dad passing away. And so the whole, wow, that's, you know, it's going to be a milestone in our life. We, we miss the old man. And, uh, and to be asked to, to speak on Father's Day and the coincidence of that all coming together was really special. So I, I embraced the, the opportunity. I know that I think Pastor really wanted a message about being a good father or, or about the godliness, that, uh, how to be a godly man and to share that with your children. Uh, if you'll allow me, humor me, I'd like to talk a little bit about my dad. If I was talking about being a father, I, can, I could do that really quick. Marry the right woman, guys. 
That's, that's the key. Um, as, a, as a basketball coach, I've, I've always shared when people say, hey, what's the key to having uh, a successful marriage? What's the key to having uh, uh, good kids? It's all in the recruiting process. <laughs> the first recruit I ever landed was the best one I ever got. I went way over my head, and, and that's the, the biggest reason our kids have overcome their dad and, and, and are what they are. Um, if you'll open your, your Bibles uh, as we're getting ready here, we're going to head to Hebrews 11. But before that, I do want to share a couple stories, just a little bit of a personal testimony. Take a minute, if you would, and think about a lesson you've learned from your mom. Maybe kind of Rorschach it. The, uh, it you know, we've learned so much from our parents, we can't, we can't make that list. But if someone were to say, hey, what's one thing that you learned from your mom? If my mom taught me blank, Obviously, the next question is, what's one thing you learned from your dad? And I'm the one that gets to share out on this. But <clears throat> my mom taught me to love Jesus. And uh, she's here. She has moved to Hawaii recently, so I'm glad I get to vocalize that to her. And I don't know if I've ever thanked her for that, so it only took 54 years. Um, but she, uh, my dad taught me to love to compete. So I take that from, from those two. And those two things, when I, when I say what the first thing that comes to mind on each of them, my mom taught me to love Jesus. My dad taught me to love to compete. He was a character. My mom comes from a long line of Christians. Uh, her dad, Jay, was a pillar in the community at Wayside, Kansas, and Wayside Community Church. His mom, grandmother, was uh, a one of the most devout women I've ever met. We, we had a few. I think, Thatcher, I think I've been saved the longest. At one point, you said 45 years. And the next thing, these guys do the math, we're back down to 30, 43. <clears throat> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but but my, the, what brings that up is that I'm so old. Raise your hand if you've ever had a meaningful discussion was somebody born in the 1800s? One, two, three, all right, three, four, what, well, yeah. You, you might have, no, you weren't, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Grandmother Bell, and there's about five of us in here who have had that. So rap, that, that kind of blows my mind, and I'm one of them. So for those of you that haven't had that, uh, Grandmother Bell was born in 1890, she lived until almost 100 years old, so I was in my mid-20s having discussions with her as kind of the, as far back, I, we haven't talked about how it goes further back than that, but she was the, the matriarch of this family, this lineage that, you know, got down to my mom taking me to church every Sunday. We were, uh, I didn't know there was another church like Huicala, but we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, we were always there, and at about nine years old, uh, I know Pastor shares that too. That's one of the few things we have in common. But uh, at nine years old, I also made that decision. Uh, thanks to those people who had gone before me and, and being in church um, and Sunday school and vacation Bible school and just learning even at a very young age that I was a sinner, that there was something bigger than me going on in this world, that I could not pay for my sin that I was going to die someday and there was going to be a consequence for that. 
and I made that decision. I, I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart. I went up in front of the congregation. That's how we did it back then, and, um, and, and said, yes, I'd like to be saved. I, I want to make a profession of faith. And that was 1974, by the way. So uh, on the other side of that, um, my dad did not come from a long line of Christians. He came from a long line of very colorful characters in southeast Kansas. Uh, there should be a movie written about all of that. Um, and, and as much as I need to thank my mom for her inspiration in taking my snot nose to church and getting me squared away, it is even a bigger uh, testament to her that she got my dad in church and got him straightened out because there was uh, there was some work to be done there. Uh, trust me. Um, <clears throat> so a couple stories about my dad. We're getting to Hebrews. I know you've opened the Bible. Stick with me. Um, three quick ones and then the last one. Uh, I'm not going to elaborate on. I have a buddy that's my age. He's now a pastor. We were kids together in church when my dad was playing on the church softball team. Has anybody ever seen men's fast-pitch softball? Okay, a few of you. Dick, you're getting all these right. You must be my age. Um, so it's pretty intense. It's, you know, it's a lot different than the softball I've played where they lob it way up above your head and it sits right there for you and you hit it. These guys are bringing it. And the pitching mound is close. Well, this buddy calls me about once a year and says, I was just thinking today about how intense your dad was at church league softball. Because I can remember riding home and our parents saying, what's the deal with Leonard? Why can't he just have fun like the rest of us? And I can remember riding home listening to my dad complain about everybody else on the team and why, you know, why they should have won. I have a memory of my, my dad. We went, to play, um, we went to my grandpa's house to play hide-and-seek. For, for those of you that uh, are, are young, before iPhones, we used to do things like that. <laughs> it's a great game. See me afterwards, I'll tell you the rules. We go down to Grandpa's house. We're, it's, it's like 9 o'clock, pitch black. We're going to play around the house. And uh, I've taken a friend with me and my cousins. And my dad wanders off, you know, a couple hundred yards out into the field, my grandpa has a, um, a bathtub, a porcelain bathtub that he was feeding the cattle in out in the field. Most people might get in the bathtub. Dad pulled it over on him. You know, I mean, we're going to hide. You, you, you hide to win, you know? <laughs> Game's over. We quit. It's like, I can't find him. Let's go in. I'm hungry, you know? He, was, he used to share that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get that off of me, but. But I'm sure I was going to win, you know. <laughs> Another time we go to, uh, I've got a buddy, we go to Grandma's house, and we had started running track. We're on the middle school track team. And my dad's like, uh, he tell, points to my cousin and goes, these boys, they think they're fast now. They're uh, on the middle school track team. He goes, I can still beat them. Still 40-some years old. So we go out. Grandpa lived on a blacktop old highway, abandoned highway. It's like American graffiti. You know, we've got my mom down there with her arm up, and we're all down here. Because, I mean, the moment he said, you know, I'm going to show these boys, I'd lived around him long enough. I knew the answer was, well, let's go, cowboy. Come on. I'll meet you out on the... So we go out. 
the short version of the story is, for the next 20 years, he said, hey, I'd have beat you guys if I hadn't blown a sneaker. <laughs> Literally, head over heels, he goes. We make an emergency room run, his arm's all swollen. If I hadn't blown a sneaker, I'd have showed you boys I still could have got you. So, last thing. This will, this will summarize him for you. Um, we had a basketball goal in the backyard. We'd go out there. I was, it's, it's hard to, people don't believe this. I was tall and skinny as a 14-year-old. <laughs> really skinny. And, but I was taller than him, and that bugged him. So we'd go out, and it's just once a week, we'd come storming in the house as my witness, and, you know, I'd be like, that's a foul. You, you cheat. That's not real. You got to toughen up, son. Well, that, that's not even realistic. That's not basketball. You'd be technical. You better get stronger. People are going to push you around. You better be able to handle yourself. We'd come in, and my mom, bless her heart, would be, she'd redirect it. She'd be like, uh, hey, uh, Leonard, would you put the plates on the table? Darren, wash your hands. We're ready for dinner. And my dad, in his infinite parental wisdom, he had not read a lot of Dr. Spock parenting books. My dad would say, Lois, uh, don't tell Darren to wash his hands. Why don't you tell Darina to wash her hands? <laughs> <coughs> so uh, understand, I could not love anybody more than I love my dad. But you know, in today's day and age, and those of you that are older get this, the guy was born in the middle of the Depression, served in the Marine Corps in the Korean conflict. So it's the 1970s. Today, you might, your kid would get put in foster care if you talk to him like that. <laughs> but as I shared these stories, and, and thank you for allowing me to just share a little bit about him. Uh, it's therapeutic for me as well. You know, the I came up with a line. I'm sure it's been written somewhere. I don't have a lot of original thoughts. But what, uh, as I was preparing this, you know, I thought about, I'm going to tell these stories, and, and I hope it portrays some of my dad. I'm sure some of you know someone like him. Maybe your dad was even that competitive. But, you know, the line that I came up with is, you know, my dad was imperfect. Amen to that. My dad was imperfect but he was perfect for me. And that really resonated with me. I didn't need a perfect dad. I, uh, I have a perfect father in heaven. I just needed my imperfect dad to push me around on the basketball court and to challenge me and to follow my mom's lead and to take us to church. And uh, So I appreciate you allowing me to share that. Um, so if you can imagine, 14-year-old Darren, I, I was really into uh, being a Christian. That was a big part of our life. And sports was way too important in my life at that point. As we all know, I've completely grown out of that. That's not a factor anymore at all. But it took me a while. So at some point, I heard Hebrews 12.1. Um, and, and that became kind of a special verse for me. Uh, Wherefore, seeing we also, I know, yeah, we're going to go to 12, and then we're going to go back to 11. Um, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the sign language of Will raising his hand means it's time to say, if you need a Bible, bulletin, or pen, <laughs> raise your hand, because since we're now reading the Bible, uh, the ushers can have extra Bibles and bulletins or pens. <clears throat> so I see that verse as a, as a young kid, and I am the poster child for not understanding a Bible verse. Um, I looked at that and thought, wow, that's great. That's, uh, that's God writing a letter to track runners. Sports was it for me. I was uh, running the hurdles, and I'm saying, we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All these people have paid $3 to come into this junior high track meet to watch me. Um, let us lay aside every weight, take off your sweats, put on your skinny shorty shorts, and be as light as you can, and run the race with patience. God loved track. That's awesome. You know, that just strengthened my, uh, my spiritual life right there. So I, I say that before every race for the next 10 years. I, I ran three years of middle school, high school, four years of, of low-level college track. And, uh, I mean, I just had it down when I would be behind the blocks. You know, before he says, runners, take your marks, I'd say Hebrews 12.1. And then for the last 30-some years of being a coach, I still do it. Um, back in the locker room before we come out. You know, sports, we like routine. It, uh, it gives us a sense of calm before the storm. I'll, I'll say that verse. <clears throat> and then at some point, it became revealed to me. I went, there was a sermon, and they, I found out that Hebrews 12.1 has to be taken in context with Hebrews 11. I was way off base. It's not a verse for track runners. But if you look at Hebrews 11, it's really well written. The first two verses are a great introduction. Then there's 36 verses in the middle that kind of substantiate, kind of make the point, give examples. And then these two concluding verses that summarize it up and point you to Hebrews 12.1. So if we can look at that quickly, um, the message, uh, you know, Thatcher and I tried to work on a title for today's message, and we just named it Faith. Hebrews 11 is, is all about faith. So to me, it's, it's skilled that the first word of that is faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think I counted sometime this week, I was reading... 11 again, the word faith is in there like 25 times. And there are another seven or eight were it, you know, uh, it refers to it. Yeah. And the author does a great thing in that he defines it from the beginning. Okay, we got 40 verses. They're going to be about faith. Let's have faith be the first word. And let me tell you what faith is. It is the substance of things hoped for. I love the word substance because as we wonder about faith, if you're reading this for the first time, hey, it's real. It's, there's something to it. It's not just a, a something that swirls around. Faith is a real thing. It is the substance of things hoped for. Pastor King's always good about sharing with us that that kind of hope is not, I hope it doesn't rain at our picnic. 
I, I, I hope that the Golden State Warriors win the title next year. No, this hope is that confident expectation that Jesus Christ is, is our salvation. We know that. That's real. There's some substance to that. That's what our hope is in. So faith is the belief that God will perform the, thing, the things he promised through Jesus Christ. I've got to keep remembering. I can look at that and see that. Stop turning around. Then it goes on to say, uh, the second part of that verse is, it's the evidence of things not seen. Those of you that like to watch the, the crime shows on TV know that the evidence is the proof. What a great first sentence right out of the gate. It is real, and it is the evidence, the proof to our mind of something we can't see with our eyes. I mean, I, I believe there's a South Pole. I have never seen it, but I've got 100% faith it's real. I've, I've talked to people that have been there, read about it. Hey, faith in Jesus Christ is, hey, I've never seen it. I've talked to people that saw Jesus when he was here. I've read about it. Uh, it it's real. And then this Hebrews 2 says, for by it, there's one of the times in that verse that it didn't even use the word faith, but for by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Because of their faith, these people who have lived before us, because they were faithful, they have a good report card. They have a good reputation. I talked about my grandpa. He's got a good report because he lived a faithful life. So faith is witnessed by many examples of honorable people in previous times. So that's those first two verses. That's how this thing gets cranked up. We'll go quicker through the next 36. <clears throat> but I think that's a great introduction, that it just simply tells you faith is real, it's proved to your mind, and because, then secondly, and because of faith, people have come before us and we should honor them. And then he gives, the next 36 are examples of that. Examples of faithful people. I can't, I'm going to have to turn around for this one. My eyes are bad. Uh, for example, by faith, and you can look through this and see how this is worded. I tried to summarize this, so by faith, Abel offered God a sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was trans, translated that he should not see death. And Noah prepared an ark. Abraham obeyed God and went out to an unknown land. It was faith that allowed Sarah to give birth late in her life. Abraham had faith when he took Isaac up and was going to sacrifice him. And Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob. It was faith that led Jacob to bless the sons of Joseph. It was by faith that Moses was hidden from his parents and the walls of Jericho fell down and Rahab, Rahab did not perish. And then a, a neat line in there at the end, this is done sometimes in the Bible, it's, hey, I don't even have time to, to list all the others. The author of Hebrews says, and there's, there's a lot more with Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and David Samuel, and other prophets. So there's this long laundry list of faithful people. I've defined it. 
Now I'm giving you the list. And then the next verse, if you, if you go to, uh, or, or no, 33 through 36 then, kind of says, and I got a few more for you. It is by faith, it is through faith that some have subdued kingdoms, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched fire, escaped the sword, made strong, fought valiantly. And then as you get to verse 35 and 36, you, I, I drew a line in there because you're feeling really good about all these people and how powerful they've been and what awesome things they've done so that they get their name written. This, this group of verses is called the Hall of Faith. You're feeling so awesome about what they've done to get written in the Hall of Faith. And then it says, oh, and by the way, faith is also why people were tortured. Faith is also why people were tortured and then chose not to accept a release from that because they wanted a better resurrection. Faith is why people were mocked and scorned and sawed in two and beaten and sent out to wonder. Well, it gets real there at the end. So there is no guarantee that everybody that's faithful is going to have a, a great, peaceful, wonderful life. But all these people are listed and we need to be aware that people came before us that were faithful, that accomplished great things, and endured hardships. So then it gets to 39. And if you look at 39 and then look back up at verse 2, I think the author you know, does a great job. We mentioned the two introductory sentences and the two concluding sentences. And verse 2 says, And these elders, by faith, obtained a good report. And then this picks right up. And says, and these, Samuel, David, Rahab, Sarah, these people I've just talked about, who all have this great reputation with faith. And, and, and as I, I remember the first time I read this, I thought to myself, you know, if I were writing the Bible, here's what I'm expecting. All these people we've just talked about who had this, this tremendous faith if I were writing the book of Hebrews, my next line would be, they've got a special seat next to God. They, they've got the pearliest, pearly gates in heaven. All these people, wow. But the author says, all these people that we've just talked about, having obtained this good report because of their faith, received not the promise. Do what? That was not what I expected. That these members of the Hall of Faith, these great people, received not the promise. Because they, everybody that was listed, remember this was written in the first century. This was written right on the heels of the crucifixion by people who had you know, either, either seen that or talked to firsthand accounts of it. <clears throat> they could look back and say, those people that I've just listed, none of them saw the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have seen that. That's what the author is saying. We've seen that happen. We've seen that promise. <clears throat> it, it almost makes those people he mentioned look like they had a, a greater challenge of faith. You know, we have seen the, the promise of the Messiah fulfilled, all they had was, hey, there is the promise of a coming Messiah. 
it, it, it's kind of like if 10 years ago I wanted to sell you a, a rail pass, I'd say, hey, you know, we can get this $100 lifetime rail pass. You'd be like, well, is there going to be a rail? I mean, everybody says there's going to be, and I've heard about it. There's some drawings. Well, let's assume Harrison's not here, is he? He's the rail specialist. Let's assume that 10 years from now, you try to sell that same person or sell somebody a rail pass. It's a different story. The rail's been built. You can see it. It happened. All right. I kind of feel that's how we should be, how hard it was been. They're trying to interpret the prophets of old. You know, we can read the story of Abraham. Abraham was just living that story. It wasn't written yet in his Old Testament. Then it goes on, Hebrews 40, the last one says, God having provided something better for us, that they without us would not be made perfect. <laughs> I don't think it means that if we here today and who we call it weren't born, they wouldn't be made perfect. What the author's saying is that <clears throat> that generation that we are part of, the generation that has seen the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but that generation, it was fresh, it was right there. Had they not been giving something better, something even easier to believe in, this visual death and resurrection, then it wouldn't have fulfilled what those people were believing in previously. Does that make sense? I think that's a, that, that's a challenging concept for me that we, the us in there, is the generation that has seen Christ come to earth, that those people had faith in and did not get to see that happen. Well, with all that said, finally, we get to Hebrews 12.1, the verse that, I've, that, that has been so special to me and then, you know, years ago took on a different special meaning because finally I understood it after you read what, what all took place in Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 12 once says, wherefore seeing we are so uh, surrounded, that was one version, seeing we also are compassed by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The cloud of witnesses that I thought were people coming to watch me run track are not witnesses of us. They are witnesses to us. They are witnesses for us. They are the people who have come before us and witnessed a faithful life. They were a witness. They were an example of faithful believers. They taught us how to run the, the faith life. Each of us has our own. You know, we all share the ones I just showed you from Hebrews 11. Many of us in here share Pastor King as a witness. Pastor just made the argument we should all be thankful and look to William Tyndale as a martyr for the, the Bible as a witness. I shared people in my family. I've had other mentors. It's, it's not all about dads and family. We just... 
we have a special responsibility as dads, but uh, we all have our own examples. And that's in everything. That's not uh, exclusively faith-based. Like I say, my dad was an example of, of competitiveness. Some of us look to people on how they've influenced us with music, how we dress, how we talk. But this lesson's about faith, that we look to people and think, what, who has gone before us and how have they lived? And, and they weren't perfect people. David was not a perfect person and he was listed in there. Moses was not a perfect person. There's only one perfect person that's ever been. So we look and we say, what can I take from them? What do I want to avoid of them? And we think to ourselves, well, okay, you've given me this long list of people. You've told me that that they didn't get to see Jesus. I have gotten to see Jesus. And now I need to be mindful that they went before me. How do I do that? And that's where the rest of Hebrews 12.1 comes into play. It says, let us lay aside every weight. And here's where I think I kind of, sort of, maybe got it a little right a long time ago because I think this is an analogy about running. I think if you skip the middle part, we'll come back to it. Let us lay aside every weight and run with patience the race that is set before us. I, I think if Joab and Jedediah were standing there and Joab said, hey, uh, I'll race you from this well to that fig tree, and uh, Jedediah would have said, okay, bet you a goat. Okay, that's good. That's good. Naturally, the next move would have been, well, let me, let me take my cloak off here. Let me set my staff down here. And You, you ready? I mean, it, it, there wasn't basketball back then. Naismith had not come along yet. So there was only a few sports. And I think the author is saying that when you get ready to run a race, we even know now, 2,000 years ago, that you, you, you can get light. You're going to get rid of the stuff that's going to stop you from being effective, from being successful. Hey, it's not going to be easy. I'm going to get tired. I don't want to be carrying any extra weight. So then he kind of sneaky in the next sentence, let us lay aside every weight. I'm talking about the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is set before us. And so he's saying, hey, what do you got to take off? You know, when we're really talking about the faith life, we're talking about what sin do you, you know, what's your cloak? What is, is holding you back, stopping you from being able to be effective in your faith life run? Pastor King always gets up and starts listing the sins. I'm not going to do that. I'm only up here one Sunday. He always starts going through, there's this and this and this. and everybody, Oh, my goodness, he's right on target. But we need to assess that. We need to, you know, hey, there's something that holds me back and slows me down from running an effective faith life. Then the last sentence or the last phrase of that says, and let us run with patience to race this it before. So I alluded to this earlier you're not guaranteed that it's going to be an easy race. Once you join that Christian team, once you make that decision that, okay, I'm going to follow examples of people before me. Hey, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to live faithfully. Hey, you better be ready to run with patience 
I think a better word for that or an equal word is perseverance. Because again, it's going to be fatiguing. It's going to be a challenge. <clears throat> the, you know, I think this instruction is given to us because God wants us to glorify him. He wants us to be faithful to the sacrifice that he made for us. He wants us to have joy in our lives and to be able to handle the challenges. A byproduct of that is that he also has challenged us to be witnesses to other people. And so I think if we take these instructions and selfishly say, I hope this gets me to heaven. I hope this helps me please God. I hope this helps me to run a faithful life. Also realize this is how I help others, is that sometimes maybe I can be referred to in the hall of faith of somebody. We are also a witness of God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to us and us to him. I, I kind of look at it, you know, I don't think that, I don't think Steph Curry thinks about getting in the hall of fame. I think Steph Curry thinks about the next possession, winning basketball games, being as good as he can be, but eventually he's going to be there. That's just going to happen. I think in the back of his mind, every so often he stops and thinks, well, that's going to be pretty cool. I might wear this coat and tie and invite this person, but that doesn't, that doesn't occupy his thoughts. I kind of feel that same way about us, that I want to be a good example to my kids. I want to be a good example to players I coach and here at church, but, you know, I can mostly do that if like my mom used to tell me, if I'll just focus on me really hard, if I'll just try to, to, to do the things that the Bible says, that will shine through to other people. Final thoughts. <clears throat> That's a pastor line too. Um, so to kind of summarize, three things here. Um, you know, I, Hebrews 12.1 now, to me, doesn't have anything to do with, with sports at all. Uh, I think I have a better understanding, and I hope I've shared that with you. Number one, I think we are to pause occasionally and think, who, who are our examples? Who's made an impact on me personally? Who's, you know, evaluate who's come before us, whether that's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, whether that's a grandmother from the 1800s, whether that's your wife, who are our examples? Evaluate that. Some of them you can write a thank you note to. Some of them you can continue to evaluate and assess, boy, there's a trait there that I want to incorporate into my life. Secondly, you know, assess what's holding us back. Next time pastor gets up and lists through all those sins, think about them. What weighs you down? And we have been told to not be like a dog that returns to its vomit when we commit a sin and just keep going back. Paul himself said, I know what I'm not supposed to do, and yet I do it. <clears throat> we are told to flee, literally. You're told, there's temptation, run from it. I will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. And that final thought 
is to live faithfully with perseverance. I, I, I love that line, and run with patience the race that is set before us. It's not going to be easy. Those of you that have run a marathon or run the mile in a track meet when you were a kid know that well, there's times the wind blows. It's difficult. There's times you've got to be strategic. Okay, I'm feeling a little good. I've got to make my move now. Oh, this, that leg's cramping up now. i just got to keep going. <clears throat> it's not going to be easy, but we have the tools we need. So, you know, I think I know so many of you in here, and, uh, and I thank you for being a, an easy audience in that sense. Um, but for many of us in here, I, I hope you can take something away from that as we think about people who have come before us and then evaluate ourselves how to be faithful. There may be somebody in here that this message will be something to, to file away because maybe you're not where a lot of people are here and that you haven't made that decision that I made so long ago and some people have made eight months ago in here. So if that's the case, you're, you're not even in the race. And I, th I thank you for being tolerant and letting me talk about those of us that are in the race. But if there's somebody in here that has not made that decision that, hey, I want to be in it. I want to live faithfully. And you can only be in the race and live faithfully when you've made that profession, sincere with your heart, I believe that Jesus Christ came and died for my sins, and I want to be on that team. Well, now you know how the race ends. You know what's going to happen. But then the challenge comes to living in a glorifying manner, living faithfully to respect those that have come before us, to be a witness to those that are watching us, and most of all, glorifying him. If you haven't, made that decision. Thatcher, I'll ask you to come up and, and close in a word of prayer. But if you haven't made that decision, there's a tremendous opportunity today that, you know, you can ask myself, Thatcher, any of our ushers, hey, you know, I want to make sure that I know where I'm going to go when I die and, and I can start reading the Bible just like we did today and say, how will that apply to me to be a faithful believer of Jesus? <laughs>